And they actually have the ability where a surgeon uh, in San Diego, you know, plug himself in and actually conduct surgery <laughs> someone that's in another state or another country. Wow. Hello and welcome to the Dactronics Experience Podcast. I'm Justin Oxner here with Matt Anderson. Today we're joined by Andrew Stone and John Sublett. John is Director of Federal Sales for Crown Point Systems, and Andrew is a Program Manager for Salute. We're going to talk about the Direct View LED 1.2 millimeter installation at the Joint Medical Operations Center, how that project came together, as well as other military and government LED applications. And we're here today with John and Andrew. John, how are you doing? Fantastic. Thanks for having us. Andrew, how are you doing over there? Hey, doing excellent. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. I have to warn everybody, I'm here with Matt Anderson. Hey, Matt, yeah. how are you doing? I'm doing, I'm six feet away from you, so I'm good. That is a good thing. All right. <laughs> um, let's start with John. Can you give us a little background of your position in Crown Point Systems? Sure. Uh, so currently I'm running federal sales. Uh, really, it turns out it's global. We do have uh, some global accounts these days uh, in Europe and Bahrain, but uh, Crown Point Systems is headquartered in San Diego. We have employees across the country. 99% of the work that we do is for the Department of Defense or the Intel community. Um, it requires us to have a top secret facility clearance, and we've been around since uh, roughly 2004. So although we sell quote unquote IT, audiovisual security, and cloud type of solutions, we're really laser focused on command and control, which is something also called C5 ISR applications multi-domain environments where you have multiple classifications, some tactical solutions, and um, pretty much all of those environments uh, are either in a uh, classified or top secret environment. Okay. And Justin, I usually call these origin stories, John, but um, how long have you been with the company and kind of how did you get to where you are now? I have been here only for about a year and a half, but have known Crown Point for years. I used to partner with them. Uh, I used to be one of the, uh, along with the, the the bigs, we call them, the big integrators out there. Mm -hmm. And um, because of, you know, the federal government has small business set-asides, uh, some veteran-owned uh, set-asides, 8A, which Crown Point Systems is, uh, that became really attractive because uh, the government can do business with us direct as opposed to big guys, the large businesses have to typically partner or uh, in most cases, they're not given the awards directly. Okay. And let's jump over to Andrew. And can you tell us about your position and Salute? Sure, guys. Yeah. So I'm a uh, program manager with Salute. Uh, I've been with the company for about three and a half years now. Uh, transitioned right into this position after doing uh, 24 years as a naval officer. So it was a perfect fit for what we do. <laughs> um, Salute is a uh, we're categorized as a service-disabled, veteran-owned small business. We were founded in 2002 by our uh, by our owner, John Lyons. Uh, we have uh, about 200 employees now. Uh, we're headquartered in San Diego. Uh, we also have offices out in uh, Maryland, in uh, Orlando, Florida, and also uh, Denver, Colorado. And uh, Salutes, um, our, our main focus, uh, we, we do a lot of software development, uh, but our focus is uh, is on solving complex uh, engineering problems uh, for the government and a lot of our government uh, partners uh, with the ultimate goal of uh, delivering essential uh, operational capabilities uh, to the government. Uh, we do a lot of work uh, with uh, different program offices across the country, 
Uh, we've done installations on ships. So our, our core competency is uh, software development, but we also uh, do system engineering, network engineering. Um, the company actually purchased a, a UAV company about two years ago. So <laughs> little known fact, we actually make UAVs as well. Hmm. <laughs> That's kind of cool. And, and how did you get kind of, you said there been, I think you said three and a half years, right? How did you kind of get into that? Was this whole software kind of communication background is what you did when you were in the Navy? Uh, yeah. So my, while I was in the Navy, most of my, uh, my jobs uh, were on the combat system side of the house. Uh, so combat systems, communication, uh, I was a communications officer, uh, for a right group at one point. So yeah, it was sort of a, uh, a logical follow-on career for me, uh, because I, I dealt with contractors in the past before, uh, one of my former CEOs, uh, was actually, or one of my former commanding officers actually worked for salute. Yeah. And that's how I found out about the company. So yeah, it just worked out. It was per perfect timing. Uh, I actually started with a uh, salute when I was on my terminal leave from the Navy. So it was great getting that active duty paycheck and still getting another uh, paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we kind of talked a little bit before the uh, episode here today is that you guys have worked together on, on some different projects. And one we kind of wanted to start with today um, was the one that recently happened for the Joint Medical Operations Command. Um, can I kind of ask you both, what can you tell us about the project and then how did you, uh, play a part in this? And I think we'll, we'll come back over to you, John, and maybe start with you. Sure. Fantastic. So I had essentially worked, uh, along with some of the, uh, designers, uh, NIWIC was the, uh, entity that designed the operations. And, uh, so there were some design and engineering questions that were back and forth in the, uh, kind of the early days, ultimately salute uh, became the prime and um, is responsible for the overall contract and the installation and are doing a number of different things within the JMOC. Our role was to support Salute and NIWIC in installing programming, uh, not only the Dactronics wall, but also the infrastructure video conferencing and some of the audiovisual aspects of the room, if you will. I'll let uh, Andrew uh, maybe talk about the overall you know, operation and, and what they do there, and then uh, glad to jump back in. You mentioned uh, JMOC. So that's uh, JMOC, the Joint Medical Operations Center, sort of the overarching uh, contract that what we did over at Naval Medical Center San Diego. Uh, we installed what's called a, uh, a VMOC, Virtual Medical Operations Center. Uh, basically, what this VMOC is, it's, it's the primary center for, uh, for telecritical care for the Navy medicine enterprise. So that's Navy medicine, period. This is going to be sort of the, the crown jewel um, for telecritical care. And um, so within the space, we have uh, multiple workstations. And eventually, actually today we're doing a soft opening, but uh, eventually that's where there'll be a, a nursing staff as well as a couple of medical doctors and some other staff members. That's where they're going to be conducting uh, their uh, telecritical care. Uh, the center's main purpose is for global care. But I know what um, Naval Medical Center San Diego is really looking at doing is uh, is um, using the center for a lot of regional support too. Out here in San Diego, obviously a big Navy town, we have a lot of uh, a lot of Marine task force, a lot of uh, 
other expeditionary strike groups. So they really want this to be uh, obviously on a global scale, but they also want to use this as an asset to uh, to Third Fleet, which is based here in, in San Diego. Uh, some of the key, some of the highlights of the VMOC uh, consist of uh, custom graphical interfaces. Uh, we have some high-end audio-visual systems. Uh, as uh, John alluded to, we have multiple calling uh, video teleconferencing systems and large displays, feeding content to uh, to assist the Navy in the tele telecritical care operations. For us, the the video wall uh, sort of uh, it, it is the primary focus for the staff and leadership over at the BMOC, because this is where, you know, everything is going to be displayed uh, for all the staff members to, to observe uh, with respect to if that's patient monitoring, if that's um, news feeds, which uh, <laughs> actually we have a television signal being uh, pushed uh, to uh, to the video wall now. Uh, we have several high-end computers uh, that are being pushed to the video wall. It's just an, an all-encompassing, you know, one point of, Central point of contact for the telecritical care staff to uh, to do their jobs, basically. Um, the, the big thing with the, the custom layout of the wall, uh, the staff with the multiple video feeds that are going to be able to uh, be presented on the wall, uh, these are going to be used for, you know, potentially, you know, life-saving uh, support uh, and, and training. So the, the whole point of the VMOC is for these nurses and doctors to provide critical uh training or critical support to forces that are, you know, on the other end of the globe, you know, so it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And, uh, and again, the, the video wall is a large part of that because that's going to be, you know, that, that's how everyone sees the big picture. And uh, so far the customer loves it. Uh, so <laughs> looking forward to getting some more uh, feedback from them. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And you mentioned they're going to be able to use that wall to to help people that aren't right there, so they can kind of see through it. Is that going to be just kind of um, visual exams, or are they going any steps further than that with the use of that display? Yeah. So we're, right now, it'll be you know visual, you know, sort of giving uh, uh, pointers or talking someone through you know doing a procedure. Another part of the VMOC is a uh, we have a AR VR part, which is, uh, we're still in the process of getting that up and running. So eventually that part's going to get rolled into it as well. So for now, for now it's more just, you know, visual, you know, over the shoulder type, you know, giving, giving hints and, and walking people through, uh, different steps, uh, you know, and procedures that they're doing at the distant end. So can you go a, a little bit and explain that? I, I heard some terms there. I'm not sure I understand. What exactly is that second part that you're getting set up? Oh, so uh, artificial uh, uh, virtual reality, artificial reality, where we're bringing in, this is pretty cool. I learned this while, uh, while doing the install. Uh, and there's also a robotics part to this as well. Okay. Uh, that, yeah, so that that's still uh, being worked on. We haven't touched that yet. But it, it, it's it's amazing because I've heard them talk about it. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, they actually brought in this uh, council that the surgeons use. And they actually have the ability where a surgeon uh, in San Diego, you know, plug himself in and actually conduct surgery. <laughs> someone that's in another state or another country. Wow. Using robotic arms. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Wow. Well, yeah, the, the simple version that, that I think of when I hear all that is robot surgery. Yeah, but it's, it's more complicated than that. 
<laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing. You know, when they first started talking about it, I was like, how's this work? And then actually seeing the council and having one of the surgeons explain it to me, it's it's incredible, you know, where, where technology is uh nowadays yeah that's crazy how you gotta be able to tie all that together because it's i mean justin you just said to use the the boards to uh do some you know consulting facetime kind of stuff back and forth and now uh, andrew you're talking about doing potential surgeries and stuff using robots by looking at this display right yeah well the display you know it's sort of it's it's tied in it's part of the vmock mm-hmm. but the actual surgeries it's um there's a separate council that that is what the surgeon is looking at. Mm, okay. Oh, yeah. And I'm not sure if they actually display that on the wall. They, they might be able to, you know, because again, the thing that I've learned during this install is a lot of, obviously with the, the support in their everyday jobs that they do, one of the key components of this is training. And that's where the VTC comes in. I mean, they were really, <laughs> VTC <laughs> one of the priorities for them because they do so much of this training. Now, the training I'm talking about now, that will definitely be displayed up on the big board. And they'll, you know, the big, the video will have heavy use with the training across the board for uh, the enterprise. Yeah, there's something to make sure you get a lot of training on everything you're explaining about what this is going to be used for. Definitely seems like there's got to be some intense training going on with that. And this, this all seems very unique in how all this has worked. I'm kind of curious then, John, maybe coming back to you is... Is is this is this a, a unique install for yourself as well, or kind of how did you get brought into this? Well, so Dactronics was well. Let me let me back up. Previously, I had worked for one of the big integrators, and we had installed Dactronics video walls in many of the sports stadiums. So very familiar with uh, Dac as a manufacturer. Okay. So fast forward to you guys developed the NPN line, which is the narrow pixel pitch. And so therefore that became a product that matches more for indoor command and control and video wall applications like Andrew mentioned. So kind of fast forward to working with Phil Reyes from Dactronics Mm -hmm. on the federal team. So Phil had, you know, really gotten us up to speed on the product. We ultimately uh, went to the Dactronics um, you know, facility there in South Dakota. And I have to say uh, to, you know, anyone listening, if you really want to compare a, you know, a manufacturer to manufacturer in the direct LED uh, world and field, you know, go to or go to the site if you can. If you can't, watch the video because it is a no kidding factory. It's not smoke and mirrors like some of the others are. It's TAA compliant, which is a requirement for this type of application for the government. Um, also, because it's built in America, that is now becoming a real feather in Dactronics cap because the administration, the current administration is now pushing for, you know, by America, built in America. And Dactronics is one of the only companies that, that really puts that bill. Right. We so, are. Long um, story short. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, we are in a um, American-based company where we um, have products that are built in America using foreign parts. We have to have that disclaimer, but <laughs> yes, we do a lot of the manufacturing using foreign parts down to the component level of assembly. So there's a lot of the actual details from the LEDs that are going into the circuit boards. We're doing all of that 
uh, in Brookings, South Dakota. And I got to think, and maybe you're going to allude to this, John, but if, if that was your first time to Brookings, maybe, and don't be ashamed to say yes, because that's usually the answer I get. <laughs> it was, and uh, it fit all the, all the check boxes there. It was cold. It was windy. Uh, there was <laughs> lots of snow question. on the ground and yes, <laughs> No one had suntans, that's for sure. Yeah, I was going to say that was my next question was going to be what time of the year did you come visit? But something I'm, I've heard then, what I was trying to get to then is when people haven't been here and they come to South Dakota and see it, maybe they come into, you know, Sioux Falls Airport and drive up, is that it's it's just like South Dakota, you'd think, right? It's There's planes, it's flatlands everywhere. And then all of a sudden you come to Brookings and you see our gigantic manufacturing facilities and they say like, it really does catch them off guard. Like you're saying, you show up and you go, wow, this is... This is a high-tech company is right here in South Dakota. It's kind of crazy. Well, and I mean, I know we're on a uh, Dactronics podcast. And I'm supposed to say great things, but <laughs> I, I mean this from, uh, from, you know, 25 years in the industry. Watching the assembly, I mean, you know, you guys are putting LEDs uh, on the boards right there in the facility. The testing happens there. The, you know, it's just, uh, it's an entire process and it's, uh, it's, it's legitimate as opposed to other places that I've been, you know, it really is, uh, well, we're testing some stuff here, but you can't really see where the assembly happened or how it happened. And for the market that Andrew and I work in, uh, that is critically important because there are, you know, unfortunately, I hate to say it, but it's the truth. You know, we have foreign governments that are, trying very hard to gather information and it's uh, <laughs> it's happening i mean mm-hmm. they have been very successful with the technologies that we use um and you know it's it security is just absolutely critical in the environments that we're working in now so you guys have a pretty stellar process and this is something I'm thinking of too. You mentioned um you know the the npn line that we have out here now is good for these types of applications um, I'm just trying to think, you know, before this other technologies, was this something that was a huge improvement over, I mean, would you use an LCD wall in this type of application in the past or like kind of like what would you have done previously? A great, great question. And in the past, you're absolutely right. So, you know, it really went from projection to ultimately to LCD and then LCD walls. Right. And uh, the problem with that is, especially in a medical application or uh, I mean, imagine if you're trying to do, um, you know, patient evaluation and the there's a big seam in the middle of the information you're trying to look at. So, mm-hmm. you know, with the NPN line, there's there's no seams. You're not seeing any, um, you know, pixel loss. So uh, it, the NPN line in particular, uh, 1.2 is what we installed at this location. And, it, you know, there, there's yes, you, you answered or you asked the right question. <laughs> it used to be LCD, but uh, we we just don't install that anywhere anymore. You talk about the importance of the seams right after uh, Andrew was just talking to us about using it for or looking at it for robot surgery potentially. So yeah, I can see <laughs> exactly. where like seams might not be so beneficial for it. <laughs> yeah, guys, Matt, Justin, uh, Johnny. Yeah, just so you know, I think it was yesterday. So we were testing out the the cameras. Uh, so we dialed into a VTC with a our one of our distant sites in Texas, mm-hmm. and, and I'm looking at this and I'm like, wow, this is like extremely clear. And they're like, hey, check this out. And so they zoom in, 
And so we're sitting in San Diego and we were able to read this. This tag had to be maybe an inch or two inches. And they're like, oh, yeah, we need to be able to zoom in and read anything on a patient's uh, bracelet there. I was like, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was impressive. <laughs> well, uh, and uh, telehealth, you know, has has been around for a while. But uh, in the commercial world, if you will, state to state, there's a lot of laws that prevent things from happening. There's HIPAA uh, requirements and a lot of behind the scenes stuff that prevents uh, accurate telehealth evaluations from happening. In the federal government, we're able to do, you know, federal to federal uh, in it, via this JMOC, if you will, right? And mm-hmm. so things like everything from exactly what you said, if you're doing a surgery, you can only imagine that that really has to be, you know, uh, no pixel note loss. Uh, you know, the bandwidth has to be, you know, substantial, right, mm-hmm. to be able to accommodate that. But it's also everything from, colors you know if you're evaluating the color of um a result or blood or any of those things right it it has to be accurate so all those things matter in the technology that's being used for the remote physician okay so looking at we've been talking about the jmoc um there's other military facilities or government facilities that are installing similar products um, from dactronics as well are the reasons to go to LED the same for, for those facilities? Not necessarily, but some of those same qualities are very important. So uh, we've, I believe we've installed nine Dactronics walls in the last year and a half at various military installations or government agencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of those are top secret environments. Some are classified. Some are unclassed. Uh, certainly the TAA and BAA is a, um, is a requirement. In, um, in 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 many or most of those, then you move up to, uh, you know, quality and performance. I mean, it has to work, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's a given. But I would say also that uh, Dactronics has really learned how to support the federal government. Uh, used to, I believe, the you know the typical support was, hey, we're going to dial in remotely and we'll troubleshoot that thing. Right. Well, in the environments that we're talking about, that's not possible. I can't walk into uh, these environments with a laptop or a cell phone or a communications device to be able to reach back to Dactronics necessarily. And so um, my, my point is, is that Dactronics has put together the ability to have spares and those kind of things on site uh, and or at depots so that we can get that technology replaced if we needed to and or that support, you know, locally. So I would say that's a that's a, a pretty key factor, because if I'm having to wait for a part to be shipped from overseas, then that's uh, that's a problem. Right. And then also, like I said, you just are not going to be able to get a, uh, a remote uh you know, a cell phone or a laptop in there for somebody to dial in and let's take a look at this classified room. It just, it doesn't happen that way. Unfortunately. <laughs> right. Security is a little different in, that, in yeah. those areas. Yes. And, and there's even a, a couple of further steps though, that uh, it's everything from base access to then access into the building to, you know, do you have the right clearance, but do you also have the right technical proficiency to be able to do that? So it really narrows the field and who can support those type of installations. 
And that makes me kind of think of a, a question I had in my mind here for a little bit too, is that, you know, we, we install displays in a lot of unique spots and they all have different things, right? Like, I mean, installing a billboard in Times Square, an airport, they all have unique things that come with them. And the military, um, military and government uh, market, I would say, it definitely comes with those as well, right? Because it was, I mean, pre-COVID, right? When we did, we did a lot more on-site demos and uh, I supervised some of our sales interns at the time and they were helping out with demos at some of these places. And it was, you know, it wasn't a last second demo. You have to get clearance to get on these bases ahead of times and those types of things. I'm just kind of curious, and this can go to either uh, John or Andrew, but when installing these displays, you know, for Dactronics people to be there, there's got to be some kind of either regulations or things they got to follow to be able to be there, right? Well, I also, I'll uh, take the first shot at it. Uh, certainly, um, you know, they uh, there has to be, uh, they have to be USA citizens, uh, US citizens um, at, at a minimum. But uh, it, again, it really depends on the classification. Uh, so in typical unclassified and even in secret type of rooms, usually there can be an escort. When we get into higher than that, then we have potential issues uh, with number one, you know, what those people can uh uh, can even can they even get in? Uh, do they have you know a checkered background? Uh, you know, there's 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 plenty of other things that would limit them from even getting into the space. But mm-hmm. but then it's having the tools to be able to you know, and I don't mean hand tools. I mean the physical. You know, typically you're going to need a laptop to be able to communicate, right? But uh, I, I I guess what I'm really trying to get to is yes, there are so many different requirements to be able to get into those upper rooms. And in many cases, that equipment can never even leave. So we have to, or the government actually has to destroy the equipment as opposed to it coming back out and going to Dactronics for repair. So that's why the uh, the Spears comment was mentioned below, how important that is in the type of facilities we're, we're working in. Yeah, so the security of, of that even data that might've been on, on one of those panels or something before it leaves, you make sure that there's nothing that could possibly get out, gets out from one of those secure locations. Like you said, there's different levels of what is allowed and what isn't. But in those super secure areas, you have to think all the way down to the signals that are being sent to make sure that everything is um, okay, so to speak. Well, exactly right. And I will tell you that uh, from the very first time that I got to visit the facility at uh, Dactronics there in South Dakota, uh, so, you know, all of the products that I had seen were uh, TA compliant. There was uh, some experimental stuff that was being worked on, and it happened to have uh, everything else was fine. But we noticed that the power supplies, for example, were not TAA compliant. And so, you know, kind of long story short, uh, I just happened to have the discussion with uh, some of your folks there with engineering. And it was shocking, but within uh, two weeks, they had already made a shift and so, you know, corrected that. So it was just kind of a lesson learned for all of us uh, to, you know, this really has to be clean all the way through to make it in some of these facilities. I'm thinking to, to come back to you then, Andrew, um, mentioning, you know, seeing that the display, I love the example you gave about seeing that display turned on and how detailed you could see out of that spot in Texas. Is this, um, is seeing that like a, an LED display working with Dytronics video walls, was this uh, your first experience with those or have you had some in the past as well? Yeah, we actually have a service sure LED wall. So years ago, um, we had a Dactronics uh, video wall installed at our lab here in San Diego. Uh, 
in fact, um, working with Phil, we're, we're actually we're building out an operations center very similar to what we're building at the medical center. Okay. We're building out at our own at our own building. So uh, we might be purchasing a, a, a big wall from Dactronics. Now, I'm not. That's not the final say. Obviously, my CEO is going to give that. <laughs> nope, you were recorded. You said it. Right? <laughs> Verbal contract yeah, is so, that what they call those? Yeah, that's what that is. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, yeah, I don't know exactly the wall that that's currently in our lab. It's an older wall. Uh, so yeah, this is my first experience with the LED wall uh, that we have over at the VMOC. So. And with, with this experience, did you get a chance to travel to Brookings to see the facilities or, or do you think you will with this next possible opportunity? I don't know. It's, it's possible. I, I have not been there, but, uh, you know, it's something I, I've been communicating a lot with Phil. That might be something I might, uh, might do because as this field, at least our involvement with, uh, telecritical care and some of the other things that our company has lined up, I, I definitely see us uh, becoming uh, bigger players in this. And uh, it might be good to get out there and take a look at the, the your factory. Yeah, you can just ask John. He he didn't undersell the cold and wind at all. So <laughs> just pick what time you come out here very carefully, Andrew. Got it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean it's one of those things that I don't know if you can attest to it too, John. Is that we talked about uh, the different millimeter pitches and what's being used even there at JMOC, right? I mean we go from there a long range of those, and when you get to come to Brookings, you can actually see okay, that's what this is. Like we can line them up. Uh, we got a brand new showroom, which we were able to to you know finish up over this last year, and we're excited as people start to to travel more to be able to bring people back in. But sometimes I don't know if you can attest to it, Andrew. Is you you may see pictures of LED displays, and I've heard this from from demos of either an LED display next to a projector or next to an LCD wall, which we've mentioned is just that you can see pictures of it all, but it doesn't really it doesn't affect you. You don't understand it until you actually see it in person. Yeah, got it. Yeah, and you know. I'm- interested in hearing you guys talk about this obviously that's not necessarily my background they're from speaking with <laughs> phil <laughs> it seems very interesting yeah i'd definitely love to learn more about it mm-hmm. exactly how uh, how you guys build these things so are there any video wall applications that either of you are looking forward to working with in the future i mean i know um i think we touched on a little bit with john saying that the led moving in indoors with our narrow pixel pitch product kind of changes the capabilities within uh the military and government space but are there any kind of um new applications that you're looking for out there with uh, the led video displays and you don't have to give names of projects you can right, be, right. be general if you don't you have to, to give so. it away <laughs> <Yep>. yeah <laughs> well uh Certainly, I, I can tell you that, um, you know, the more uh, Dactronics walls that we're putting out there and then showing, uh, you know, from one command to another, they're all saying, oh, I have to have that now, right? And uh, so command and control is still the, I guess, the uh, the big driver right now, right? And so mm-hmm. that would be the, um, you know, those are 20-foot walls uh, and, and decent-sized walls for, for bigger rooms uh, where you would have different operations. So we're, we're doing that today. Um, that has now moved the price point, uh, I think has come down pretty substantially, uh, for direct led just in general. But my point is, is that now we are putting those in. And when we're talking about, you know, conference rooms, now these would be command level conference rooms typically. So, uh, so a general or a colonel or a, you know, commanding officer, if you will, 
Uh, so those type of rooms were definitely already specifying the product into a little smaller scale at that point. But that's that's the beauty of direct LED and the way you guys build these things. I mean, they're they're small enough that we can make them whatever size we want. Right. So um, but to answer your question, as far as uh, new applications, I can tell you that um, for us, because we also do a lot of tactical operations and what that means is everything from mobile trucks or mobile skiffs, we call them. Uh, so we literally just finished one today uh, down in San Antonio. And so these are uh, mobile command centers. They're either in a big you know, RV type, right? Or we also have a direct LED that we need to put into cases, what would become program of record, they call it. And those would go into tents or, uh, you know, different portable type of applications in a tactical environment. Now, in uh, in the GMOC application, you know, there are remote people that could need surgeries. I don't think we're going to be dragging a video wall out there necessarily, but um, at the, at, you know, some of these uh, bases and, and camps and tents, uh, we do absolutely need to uh, to have that type of technology that we don't have the seams and those kind of things. So the challenge that comes along with direct LED out in the middle of the desert is uh, powder and sand, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, can it handle the environment, mm -hmm. uh, the heat? Uh, so all of those things are part of it. I can tell you that we're doing it today uh, already, but we also have to be, you know, uh, direct LED can be a little bit delicate too, as far as handling. So mm -hmm. you don't want a bunch of Marines, you know, slamming these things in and the next thing you know, you're missing pixels. But my, <laughs> my point is though, that you were asking about the future applications. Absolutely. We're already talking to Dactronics about some acrylics and some other things to, to put on the direct LED to make those a little more durable. And then uh, deploying those out into tactical environments. I know it might be it might be hard then, uh, Andrew, for you to say what are you looking forward to more in the future that can top you know robot surgeries around the globe. But is there anything else that you have <laughs> coming up that you got excited about? <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. I, well, I think a lot of the, the projects that uh, we're doing internally, which I, I said are very similar to uh, what the the VMOC is. Mm -hmm. uh, Definitely, you know, excited about that. And then um, from listening to John, it, it's sort of what he just mentioned being, you know, being in a tactical environment. And I'm now I'm just thinking about back when I was in the Navy, like something like this, something like one of those those mobile command centers uh, like within the River Ring community, for one, where, you know, a lot of these guys go out and they're setting up and it's not they're not out in the woods or, you know, they're sitting out setting up tactical operations centers. And I just remember the, the large screen displays that we used, uh, that I used like, you know, seven or eight years ago. Uh, they, they, were, they were good. They were fine. I think they were actually projectors, but, you know, something like this, I think, would definitely, uh, you know, aid the warfighter in making sure that, you know, he has a good track, good situational awareness, and, uh, you know, having a, a nice, solid, clear, concise um, uh, picture to show, you know, who's who in the zoo, would definitely benefit the the warfighter. So uh, yeah, I definitely see a lot of a uh, lot of possibilities there um, moving forward. Uh, but for yeah, for us though, just internally within the company, definitely excited about uh, getting our operational center up and running. 
Uh, and again, we have a lot of other uh, side projects that we're doing that, you know, who knows, I might be giving Phil another call to <laughs> something else, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so definitely exciting things and, and interesting to hear from you both today about uh, the, the JMOC and the different uh, military and government applications and how LED, direct view LED and down as close to 1.2 millimeters is, is helping out in certain situations for you guys. So, John, Andrew, thank you for joining us today. Great. Thanks for having us. Our pleasure. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dectronics Experience Podcast. Please subscribe at your favorite place to listen to podcasts to keep up with our latest episodes.